From the Gettysburg and 91.1 WZBT Gettysburg, I'm Ben Ponce, and this is On Target. I'm Mary Frazier. Today on Target, we'll discuss President Bob Uliano's priorities for the college and recap events from the last few weeks on campus. Then I'll sit down with the Gettysburgians' assistant news editor, Nicole DiGiacomo, to discuss Gettysburg's progress towards sustainability goals. Stay with us. Let's get into the news of the past couple of weeks. This podcast has been a little bit sporadic with a panoply of, of campus happenings over the past few weeks, so we'll get into them over the next few minutes. The first item up for discussion at the uh, most recent meeting of the Gettysburg College faculty, President Bob Uliano uh, gave about a 10-minute address at the beginning of the meeting to outline some of his early priorities, a question he seemed to be tired of having been asked, and so he decided he would finally answer it, I suppose. And he outlined seven of those priorities, and we will go through them here right now. Number one, continue to get to know the Gettysburg College community. Obviously, that would be an ongoing endeavor. I think it's fair to say he's been fairly visible this fall. Um, Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Um, I have seen him like walking around campus. I've seen him at different events. So I think um, he's doing as good of a job as possible because I would imagine your first official semester, you're quite busy. So um, yeah, and I've heard from from several Penn Hall sources that uh, he has largely eschewed uh, getting off campus to fundraise this fall, um, largely avoided that for the most part, um, in favor of making sure he has, you know, firmly put a foot down on campus. And in, in, in conjunction with getting to know the community and, and maybe that process reaching reaching its conclusion, um, or at least it's, you know, a, a safe dropping off point, the presidential transition team on which I, of which I was a member has disbanded. Uh, at least we're not meeting anymore, so there's that. Um, you know, it seems like he seems, he feels fairly acclimated, um, at this point to campus. So getting to know the Gettysburg College community was number one. Number two, there are obviously three pretty high profile searches going on right now, um, that Bob is involved with, um, the vice president of development to replace Bob Callen, who retired last year. Betsy Deal has been serving in that role on an interim basis. As far as I can tell, an announcement should be pretty imminent on that front. Um, Several finalists have been on campus. Well, I shouldn't say several. I know of at least one finalist who has been on campus over the past couple of weeks. I assume there have been others. But that search um, has been in progress since really Bob's first day, uh, very early in July, I believe. We got a message indicating who was going to be a part of the search for that. So that process appears to be reaching its conclusion. Um, Bob is also co-chairing with uh, with Chris Zappi, the provost, a search for a new executive director of the Eisenhower Institute. That uh, position has not, that position has been vacant um, since Jeffrey Blavitt left almost, not almost in fact, that would have been a year and a half ago. So that position has been vacant for 18 months. Um, probably not great. Uh, it's kind of been filled on an interim basis. 
by a combination of Rob Boyer, who's the dean of public policy programs. And, and at the time that Jeffrey Blavitt left, they announced that Susan Eisenhower would have an expanded role. It's not entirely clear what form that has taken. Um, but in any case, that search is ongoing. Um, I am, in fact, on the search committee for that, but I really can't say much more than that. We've been sworn to secrecy, um, and, and so that's ongoing, um, but not as close to its conclusion, it's fair to say, as the Dapper Search uh, Development Alumni and Parent Relations, known as Dapper, one of the arguably worst acronyms at this college. But that's perhaps a, an uh, maybe it's not an April Fool's article. We should do an article, a listicle of the worst acronyms of Gettysburg College. I think that could be, you know, there are a lot of them. That'd be fun. That'd be a good idea. We'll add that to the list for the features department. Anyway, uh, and then the third search is a vice president for enrollment and educational services, replacing Barbara Fritz, um, whose retirement will take effect in June. She's been here since 2001 across four presidencies. That is a position um, that is probably one of the most important, least understood positions at this college, EES, that division. Uh, includes admissions, financial aid, institutional analysis. Um, it currently includes communications and marketing, although as part of this search, um, or as part of after Barbara leaves, after Barbara Fritz leaves, um, the communications and marketing uh, team will become a direct report to the president. Um, so that will cease to be there. It also includes athletics, um, which is kind of an interesting set up there. But uh, in any case, that position, um, that search will be of central importance to the ongoing success or failure of the college in terms of enrolling students with all of the demographic changes that are on the horizon in terms of fewer students attending college in the coming years. So those are the three searches. That's priority two, bringing those searches to successful completion. Priority three, Developing strategies to compete in a highly competitive educational landscape. And, and as I just alluded to, there are these trends that the faculty have discussed at great length um, and will continue to discuss at great length, it appears, um, about how the college needs to adjust um, to, uh, to these sort of changing demographic situations. One part of the adjustment that happened was, uh, or at least you know, this was part of the story with the business major um, was, you know, trying to make the college more competitive in the marketplace, given that there are an awful lot of students who want to study business, uh, apparently. And so that that's one thing. But the interesting thing here, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, Mary, uh, he announced, and I guess this was, um, well, skipping ahead to number four, which was develop new streams of revenue. These two were kind of related. But he announced the possibility of introducing certificate programs in, you know, something like information technology, uh, which would presumably be for adult learners of some kind. It would be an, a different revenue stream than basic tuition. He said that this would, of course, you know, have to be done in consultation with the, well, with approval from the faculty. It would have to... Uh, you know, reflect our liberal arts values, but uh, that would certainly be a departure uh, or at least an addition of something new to the college's current academic structure? Um, I, 
don't know how I feel about it. I think I would need to learn more about exactly what his vision is for it. I don't know how it would fit in with the social aspect of campus, I guess I want to say. I don't know if social is the right word. The residential aspect of campus? Yeah. Um, I think because the college, not necessarily against, but very much discourages um, commuting to the college, living off campus is quite um, a process compared to other schools um, mm -hmm. because of how much they want to foster community. We know how much Gettysburg College loves the word community. And how much they need to fill the housing that they've bought up over the years. So I think it would definitely change um, a lot of the different dynamics that are on campus. Um, and... Um, I don't know. I feel like it's just we have that um, stereotypical 18 to 22 um, college student age group on campus. I don't know how this older um, group of people would fit in. I don't know what kind of dynamic they'd have. Um, I also feel like it could change the reputation of Gettysburg College as an honors college, a highly competitive college. Not that certificate programs aren't difficult. I don't want to sound elitist, but. Well, I mean, it seems like it would be a model to attract, you know, probably. I mean, and again, Juliano said at this meeting that this is just something that President's Council is kicking around, assessing the feasibility of. But I would have to imagine that if this were to happen, the, the target would be perhaps professionals looking to bolster their careers, maybe with some continuing education money from a, an employer of some kind, um, such that the college wouldn't need to unleash financial aid for something like this. Um, Don't yeah. we have to hire more well, people, though? Poss that possibly. I mean, the the... I can't really imagine that too many members of the current faculty would be too enthusiastic about uh, teaching adult learners in something like, you know, a, a professional certificate program. Although I could be wrong. Maybe there are some. Um, but that certainly isn't exactly what they were hired to do at the outset in terms of, you know, mentoring and advising and teaching undergraduate students and, and doing their research and participating in college governance. Um, you know, teaching kind of, I mean, I, these would essentially be graduate programs just without leading to master's degrees or PhDs, I suppose. Um, you know, these would be not... But we take pride in being an undergrad institution. Well, right. And so unless this is simply, but, you know, the, the predicate of this, um, you know, the goal the context in which he brought this up was new streams of revenue. So it wouldn't just be geared towards undergraduate students paying tuition today, it would seem. Um, so I don't know. Uh, he said, quote, let me be clear. We are simply exploring this at this point, trying to understand the basic questions of feasibility, end quote. And he added that all new sources of revenue would have the values and mission of the college, quote, squarely in mind. We are thinking about this expansively. Um, and, and he said this is something he floated um, in the spirit of having more ideas on the table rather than less. Um, you know, candidly, this was a pretty clear test balloon, I think, to see how, you know, folks on campus would react. Um, I think that if the president is certainly 
a savvy enough kind of operator, politician, and I don't mean politician in a bad sense at all, just, you know, uh, to understand the implications of floating something like that at a meeting of the full faculty, knowing that it would get talked about. And I imagine he just wanted to gauge the response um, to that in the in the conversations I've had with folks, including members of the faculty since that meeting. There's been a healthy dose of skepticism along many of the same lines as, as we just discussed. So we'll see where that goes. Um, related to that kind of remaining competitive in the marketplace theme, uh, he also announced the formation of a task force co-chaired by Pete Carmichael and Jamie Yates to explore the colleges. Um, Pete Carmichael is a head of the Civil War Institute, professor of history. Jamie Yates is the head of communications and marketing for the college to assess how the college is reflecting its, its kind of unique place in American history as a historical site, its proximity to Washington, D.C., uh, and other urban centers. Um, this task force, in addition to Carmichael and Yates, includes uh, Michael Berkner from the History Department, Carolyn Hartzell from Political Science, Sarah Principato from Environmental Studies, Hakeem Williams from Africana Studies, Avner Dorman uh, from the Conservatory, Tim Funk from Chemistry, Rob Boyer from Public Policy, and Marta Maras from Management. Um, and so... It was not entirely clear um, what specifically this group's charge was. Um, you, you know, it, it's he said to help us assess how we were reflecting the distinctiveness of our location, um, and in I think it's in particular to how the college frames its programs uh, in the admissions process to try and attract, you know, high caliber students um, to come. Uh, so that task force is off. So that was. Priorities three and four put together. Uh, priority five, which relates to the interview that we'll have next week um, with Julie Ramsey, the Dean of Students, who is kind of in charge of this effort. Um, but Juliano wants to improve first-year retention and six-year graduation rates. Um, the college's retention rate between the first and second year is 91%, which, to be clear, is higher than a lot of schools would love to have a 91% retention rate. However, that lags behind uh, a lot of top liberal arts colleges, including some of our peer institutions. Um, and so, you know, if nothing else, and of course there are other reasons, but if nothing else, it's lost revenue when when 9% of students don't continue uh, through their four years. Um, and 16% uh, of students do not graduate within six years. Um, and so our six-year graduation rate is 84%. Uh, which again, though it's higher than many institutions, is something that the college would like to improve. Uh, interestingly, perhaps bemusingly enough, um, the college convened a task force around this issue, um, the Student Success Task Force, in 2017. That task force produced a report that uh, we covered uh, at the time um, in pretty significant detail, and the primary takeaway of the report was that this committee ought to keep doing, ought to keep meeting. Uh, my sense is that the committee has not done a ton of work since issuing that report in the fall of 2017. Um, and this latest effort uh, has charged Julie Ramsey to head up an effort to study these issues systematically. 
Um, so it seems as if another report may be on the horizon, although perhaps one with more actionable recommendations. The one actionable recommendation from the initial report that the college did not in fact enact was to um, buy this technology tool to integrate advising efforts uh, and, and kind of, you know, provide advisors some tools to communicate with academic advising and, and other um, resources on campus, um, but it was expensive and they didn't do it. Uh, so we'll see what happens here. Uh, previously, this was an effort that was across a few divisions, uh, including the academic division, college life, and EES, Enrollment and Educational Services. This time it will be, I think all of those divisions are still partners, but it's Julie Ramsey's job, and we'll be Next week, we'll ask her about it. So we'll see where that's going um, there. Number six, improving intercultural competency of Gettysburg College students. Of course, we did not discuss this, and Mary, perhaps you'd like to just give a brief overview, but um, Bob sent out uh, an email to the campus community regarding um, a couple of incidents that occurred um, that he became aware of uh, in which racial slurs were um, were used by Gettysburg College students um, until, or excuse me, used by Gettysburg College students towards uh, other students and and perhaps some alumni. Um, and and so that was kind of the backdrop against which Juliano said that that, this is our college, and we are we alone are responsible for the culture we create. Was a passage from that email, uh, and he built on that idea and said that it's a charge to all of the educators in the college to make sure that that students, um, you know, are dealing uh, are treating each other and and acting in culturally competent ways. Uh, he also. Provost Chris Zappi got up at the meeting and said that um, said that he would encourage uh, faculty to take time in classes to discuss the values of the college uh, in the coming weeks. I have not had any such conversations in any of my classes. Have you, Mary? I have not. Yeah, so I'm not sure whether too many faculty took up that proposition, but... Uh, we will, you know, it's it's one of those things that is a, certainly an ongoing, um, an ongoing endeavor, uh, but but uh, you know, I don't know a whole lot about what happened other than his email. I haven't really heard about it, um, and the DPS email we received, um, so. I don't know if I feel comfortable talking about it just because I really don't know what took place. Yeah, it's not, you know, it didn't, the email didn't, I did not get the sense from the email that these were necessarily incidents that had happened in the immediate, you know, immediately preceding when the email was sent out. I, I'm wondering if maybe it was earlier this fall, but. Uh, well, yeah. I know there was one incident because DPS emailed us, right? Uh, yeah, there was, well, earlier this fall, there was a, I don't know if it was a timely warning necessarily or just a, you know, notification, but there was communication about that, true. And then finally, and this is something that as we record this on Saturday afternoon, 
uh, on the 16th is in progress. Uh, there's a workshop as part of this in progress, but Giuliano uh, wants to facilitate civil dialogue ahead of the 2020 election. And so this afternoon, a Better Angels workshop is happening. Better Angels is an organization that kind of works to help people bridge political divides. Um, and so that workshop is happening now. Uh, you know, it's it's. what's your sense, Mary, of kind of the climate with respect to ability to have, you know, civil political conversations among people who disagree? I honestly think it depends um, on the, like, given to, to whatever number group of people that are talking. Um, and I also think it depends on how politically aware and like educated people are. Um, I don't know if this is popular opinion or not, but I honestly think the more politically educated you are, the more civil conversation you can have. Um, cause people just take up a soundbite if they don't really know what they're talking about and argue it and not argue it well, but aggressively, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, aggressiveness, it, it, I, building on aggressiveness often seems to take the place of, uh, you know, well-groundedness. Yeah, you need evidence to <laughs> argue. Uh, you can't just say that someone's stupid <laughs> because that's your opinion. That's just not right. Um, so, and yeah, so that's my opinion. Um, not that everyone has the want or the time to be super politically educated. Um, But if you're going to engage in what you think is a serious debate about politics, I suggest you know what you're talking about first. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you're a political science major, as am I, that uh, for the most part, at least in the circles in which I travel, there is wide, uh, a wide spectrum of views and they tend to be, you know, articulated fairly constructively. I mean, the president of college Democrats hangs out with the president of college Republicans these days. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that maybe kind of within that, perhaps, um, I don't know what the word, the right word is, within the kind of mainstream political structures of the organizations on campus, I think they get along fairly well. I know this semester the college Republicans and college Democrats have held some joint meetings to discuss particular issues. I've heard mixed reports as to how constructive those dialogues have actually been. Um, but, you know, they're, they're meeting. I, I do get the sense that kind of outside of those, you know, maybe on either end of the spectrum, there tend to be some more, um, you know, perhaps less constructive conversations that happen um, for a variety of reasons. But, yeah, I mean, the other thing that we often get this idea that civilized debate is not, civilized is not, civilized debate is not, you know, loud and passionate, and I don't think that's necessarily the case either. I mean, I think that, you know, civilized is not a synonym for dispassionate. And so, you know, I think that as we head into... You know, we're already in the midst of election season. I still think the workshop's important, though. I think it's still um, needed. Yeah, and I mean, they moved it from Cub 208 to Cub 260, which is a bigger venue. Um, So it seems as if there was some interest in it. Folks had to pre-register. It'll be covered um, in the next few days in the Gittes Virgin. So, you know, take a look at that. Speaking of political discourse... 
Uh, Major Garrett from CBS News, CBS Washington correspondent, was on campus this week. Um, kind of to talk about his new book. And Mary, I understand you're reading the book right now for a paper that you're writing. I well, am. not right now, perhaps <laughs> putting off writing right now. I am. Um, How was it? Well, I'm not reading the whole thing right now because who has time to read an entire book right now? I'm, I'm reading Fair. the portions of it that are about foreign policy um, because that's what I need to learn about. Um, shout out Political Science 224. Um, uh, your hero and mine, Shirley Ann Warshaw. Woo! Um, so, but yeah, the book's really good. Um, super um, easy read. Like, you can tell it's a journalist writing it. Um, very enjoyable. It's almost conversational. I feel like I'm talking to the author. Um, so, it's very good. And what I really like about it is that... He render and he talked about this um, at the lecture as well that he renders judgment both ways. So like he'll call out Trump for when he's doing something weird, but he also is like, hey, like I've also heard these conflicting things where he's like very quiet and a good listener and all this stuff. Um, which is honestly, I learn better from that um, because if someone is just shouting that they hate Trump at me 24-7, I'm not learning anything about how he's president. I just know that someone hates him. So um, I am enjoying the book, actually. Yeah, and there was a extremely good turnout at the event, both from the community and uh, from the campus. Yes, we ran out of seats. I sat on the floor with my friend during the lecture. Well, it was in Cup 260, which is a fairly sizable venue, Um Seats, I think, 120 or so, 100 to 120. And so, you know, people out, I saw there were people winding in the back and yeah. some outside the room. Yeah, so it was definitely a full house in there. Someone, I believe at some point, stole um, Dr. Warshaw's chair. Um, so they had to figure out how that worked. That was a little strange. Um, but, yeah, very um, good lecture. I enjoyed it. And speaking of lectures, oh. on the horizon. On the horizon. So this Tuesday, a shameless plug, the CWI, and I believe the History Department co-sponsors it. And while we're in the spirit of bad acronyms, the CWI stands for... The Civil War Institute. Um, so we are hosting the annual Fortinbaugh Lecture, um, named for Dr. Fortinbaugh, who was a professor here um, a while ago. I forget what the years were. Um, and it always centers around something um, around the Civil War. This year, our lecturer will be Brooks Simpson, um, and he will be talking about Ulysses, Ulysses S. Grant. Um, I believe he has a new book out. Don't hold me to that, but I believe he does. The posters seem to indicate as much. Okay. Um, and you should definitely come. It's free. Um, it's at the Majestic Theater on Tuesday. Um, and it'll be a really good time. You should definitely come join us. Yeah, I mean, the Fortinbaugh Lecture tends to bring out some pretty senior scholars, um, you know, to its, to its stage. I'm trying to remember who was last year, two years ago. Last year was George Rabel. Yeah. And then the year before was Thavolia Glimpf. Right. I remember she was here and that was a fairly... She was amazing. Fairly big deal. Um, big and so deal. Ulysses S. Grant, in my top 45 favorite presidents, I'll leave it at that. Uh, and so 
I think that's all of the luxury news on the on the horizon or in the immediate past. Um, the just a few more news and note items of of sorts from the faculty meeting that happened, which was a fairly sometimes these faculty meetings are pretty dry, and and that's not to say that this one wasn't dry in in its center section as the faculty debated some language for the faculty handbook. Um, motions put forth by the faculty grievance committee, which I can tell you are party people. Um, and and uh, they were presenting a motion that would remove uh, from the expectations of conduct for department chairs modeling professional behavior uh, because insofar as professional, professional behavior ought to be modeled by members of the faculty, and to be clear, there was some disagreement as to whether that should be a written expectation. Uh, it should be by all faculty members and not just by chairs. Uh, so there was a motion to remove it from chairs and then add some language uh, to the general behavior for faculty uh, about collegiality. Uh, and then it came up, well, if someone is, if it's in the faculty handbook that faculty members need to be collegial to one another, uh, if one is not, can we deny them tenure? Uh, and the answer appears to be no. So, you know, in the words of Jacqueline Malingo, um, from the, from the, who chairs the faculty grievance committee, um, she said out loud at the microphone in front of the full faculty meeting, you can be a butthead, um, to, to, I, she, she cut it off there, but presumably to your colleagues and there are no ramifications, um, for tenure. So, you know, that got some laughs. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, in any case, it was a bit of a hoot and a half of a faculty meeting, and then at the very end, it ended on a rather somber note. Um, well, there were two somber moments in particular. The faculty held a moment of silence um, to honor Yunsu Kim, associate professor of violin, who died um, last week. Uh, last weekend, um, she had an extended illness. Um, and then Executive Director of Health and Counseling Services, Kathy Bradley, presented to the faculty on warning signs um, of school violence, targeted shootings, suicide, and domestic violence. And the most unbelievable stat of that meeting, uh, there are 2,500, give or take, students at Gettysburg College. The college has documented 50 suicide attempts in the last year, which is a high number number um, and so that shocked some folks in the room um, probably as it should but in any case that was the ending to the faculty meeting and they immediately went from that uplifting stat to adjourning some uplifting news though from that meeting four yeah four members of the faculty did receive tenure Kareem Samji from the history department James Puckett from the physics department Sahana Mukherjee from the psychology department um, and Ricardo Kansekel from the math department um, received tenure. So, you know, Woo! I've had one of those for, have you had Kareem Samji in your history major travails? I have not. I don't know. I took Islamic history with him the fall of my first, fall of my first year. Good How class. It's it a good class. He was, he was cool. That's fun. Um, so yeah, so that, that's kind of the end of the faculty meeting. Any other news and notes from the past couple of weeks that you can think of, Mary? I can think of one, Benjamin. Oh, boy. So we had... This is, this is I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> so um, there was an escapee from the Adams County prison on 
when was it? What Wednesday? Thursday? I think it was Thursday, now that you're mentioning it. Thursday. Um, and I actually found out about it really early in the morning when my roommate and I woke up um, because uh, a friend of hers had sent her a text that there was an escapee in Gettysburg. Um, and then... How did this friend know? Um, she used to live in Gettysburg, so I think she just gets the news alerts because the news knew about it at 7 a.m. Ah. Ah. Um, and then DPS emailed us around afternoon time. Four or five, I think. Oh, I don't know. Um, about it. Yeah, it would have been like 3.30. I was in class. Okay, so... Um, Definitely not checking my email in class. Checking my email. um in the afternoon um that um this man had escaped um and um there was a lot of rumors that there was cops on campus that they were checking cub that they thought he might be in cub and it was this whole ordeal um and it was just really funny because this man was literally in the adams county prison for multiple duis so unless you uh, got in his way from running. I really don't think he was that much of a threat. Yeah, I mean, the timing of the timely warning was bizarre. Uh, it seemed to immediately precede Gettysburg Police being on campus, but did not mention that Gettysburg Police were on campus. I didn't see anyone on camp. I was in my room the whole time, so I didn't witness any of this firsthand. This is just everything I've well, heard. no, but I mean, others, there have been numerous reports that there were police officers on campus. Um, yeah, the whole thing was just a little bit of a head scratcher. Yeah, I'm also... Why at 3.30 in the afternoon did this become something that everyone needed to be aware of? If... It was because there were going to be police on campus. Why didn't the email say that? I don't know if it was because there was police on campus, though, because even though the like local news knew about it at 7 a.m., it was Adams County Prison. I don't know how close the prison is to here, but my argument well, I is... I mean, Adams County. Gettysburg is in Adams County, so... I know, but if they, the college had no reason to believe he was going to be near the college, why would they email us about it? But then in the email, they said he was cited a few blocks from here and that would warrant an email. So it might've yeah, been one of the, true. it might've been one of those things where it's like, if he's on the other side of the County, why would we care? But if he's a few blocks from here, obviously we should know about it. Yeah, and email, it was probably coincided with police deciding they wanted to check out the college. Yeah. The email had said that he was at that. Have you ever been to that little gas not even it's not even a gas station it's like a convenience store called like campus corner no it's right on 15 just around the corner from like paxton and such no i've never been to this corner store i have neither have i nor have i ever met anyone who has but it's pretty close to campus for no one that i know having ever been there but in any case and i lived at paxton for quite a while and never it's always no. looked kind of shady to me but in any case apparently he was spotted there Early in the morning, well, like late in the morning, I guess. I think they said between 9 and 10 or 9.30 and 10.30 or something on surveillance footage. So, I don't know. It was a bit of a bit of a thing. No one seemed to be terribly alarmed. It wasn't as if he was armed and dangerous or anything. It was not yeah. a violent offense. But, yeah, it was a little bit of excitement on Thursday. Yeah. So, I think that is newsworthy to mention. Indeed. All right. Well, I think that's going to end our news segment. We'll be right back with the Bullet Report, followed by a conversation with our assistant news editor and author of a piece in the Gettysburgians magazine, 
about sustainability that we read on air last week and we'll discuss on air this week. Nicole DiGiacomo will be with us after the break. Stay with us. <laughs> and now it's time for the bullet. Gettysburg College Athletics have not been the subject of this podcast since the beginning of November, so here we go. On November the 2nd, the wrestling team finished 7th of 8 at the Messiah Invitational Men's Cross Country Team finished 5th of 9 at the Centennial Conference Championship. The women finished 7th of 9 at the same event. The football team lost to Susquehanna 56-13 over Family Weekend. That was sad. The men's swimming team defeated Washington 197-58. The women won 207-50 the same day. The volleyball team defeated Dickinson 3-0. The field hockey team defeated Dickinson 3-2. And the so men's soccer team defeated Ursinus 2-1 while the women lost 2-0 to Dickinson. On November the 5th, the field hockey team defeated Bryn Mawr 1-0. The women's basketball team lost an exhibition to University of Maryland Baltimore County 90-52. The men's soccer team defeated Haverford 1-0 on the 6th. The women's soccer team defeated McDaniel 2-1 on the 6th. The field hockey team lost to Johns Hopkins 5-4 on November the 8th. The wrestling team finished second of seven at their host Invitational on November the 9th. The women's soccer team lost to Dickinson 3-0 on the same day. The men's soccer team lost to Franklin and Marshall 3-0. The women's swimming team defeated Susquehanna 153-51. The men's swimming team won 156-49 at the same event. The football team lost to Muhlenberg 44-3. That was also sad. The men's basketball team lost an exhibition to Mount St. Mary's 75-58. The women's basketball team lost to Messiah 6 68-61 in their season over the men's swimming team defeated McDaniel on November the 13th, 132-30, while the women won 111-43 over the same team. The men's basketball team, in their first home invitational, defeated Southern Virginia 87-81. And happening throughout the remainder of the weekend, the men's soccer team and the women's soccer team will be playing in the playoffs, the NCAA tournament, the first time either team has, has made an appearance in that event for quite a while. The men, since at least 2000 and three, four, something like that, it's been a few years. And thus endeth the bullet report. We'll be right back with Nicole DeJack. And we are pleased to be joined today by the assistant news editor of the Gettysburgian and author of a recent piece regarding the college's efforts towards sustainability, Nicole DiGiacomo. Nicole, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Ben, for having me here. So the goal of this segment last week uh, on this podcast, I did an exciting read aloud of this article that we're about to chat uh, that we're about to discuss. Um, so, you know, feel free to listen to all 30 minutes of that fun. But uh, the basic upshot of the, the piece is that the college has made some efforts, has made some efforts towards um, sustainability, uh, but those efforts seem to not uh, have, have been, not be widely known. Yeah, that was the main problem I came across. Uh, most of our efforts have been buying carbon offsets, which is not visible to the student population or community of Gettysburg College. Um, there is a quote in there that said, buying carbon offsets really allows the college to uh, get away with acting like they're doing a lot, but it's not really an active form of becoming more sustainable on campus. Right. And so, you know, the college says that it's done, it, it's reduced its 
carbon emissions by 47.92%. Uh, that's actually an independently audited figure. 47.92% over the last uh, 10 years or so. They started this project in 2007, and those that was a 2018 figure. So I'll cross 11 years. And the goal um, was to show a 30% reduction by 2025. So in that context, they are ahead of the benchmark. Yeah, so again, they are ahead of the benchmark, as you say, but uh, the majority of that reduction in carbon emissions have been in offsets, so it's not actually the college's own emissions being reduced. Yeah, and so in terms of what the college is doing towards reducing admissions specifically, they mentioned that new construction, including the Jager Center and the Cub College Union Building, um, have been... Or, or, or the Cub hasn't been certified yet, but they anticipate that that will be a lead certified project. Um, leadership in leadership in energy and environmental design uh, is what LEED stands for, but a, a lead certified construction project, and that future construction projects will be um, lead certified. And then they're also talking about. Um, you know, they, they've replaced some, some LED lights on campus, or excuse me, installed some LED lights on campus to replace things um, and eliminated some water waste kind of through the dining process. But it seems as if, based on the reporting that you did, there is some other relatively low-hanging fruit that has not yet been achieved in terms of, of some composting and things like that. Talk a little bit about what kind of you learned through that about that. Yeah, so I talked to uh, Jack Burns, who is a sustainability intern over the summer, hired by facilities, and one of his big projects was uh, adding compost bins to the school, mostly for servo and bullet to use, all, all of our dining centers, really. Um, and that would take all of our food waste off campus and turn it into compost. But some of the other things that a lot of people came up to me about after reading the article and while I was doing some exploring for it was just adding compost bins to every uh, dining hall, every building that has food, which includes any hall that has a kitchens and things, any kitchen. So any first year hall, the library that has a vending machine. It seems to me that a lot of other schools already have this. I went to Dickinson for their uh, environmental conference in September, and they had compost bins. Um, and there are plenty of other schools you can see that have them. Yeah, talk a little bit about Dickinson more broadly. I mean, I know they are, I mean, they're just, you know, a few miles to the north up, up Route 15 from Gettysburg. But it seems, you know, in terms of just kind of the level of campus engagement around this issue that they might be considered a world away. Yeah, so Dickinson, I feel, is really unique in its student activism when it comes to environmental sustainability. Uh, they really push individual change, which, while they're not so unique in almost becoming or almost being carbon neutral or yeah, having compost be, bins. They plan to be carbon neutral by the end of this academic year. Yes, yes. And uh, there are quite a few schools that have already accomplished that, which is fantastic, but what makes Dickinson unique is their student activism and they really push behavioral change and they brought in um, behavioral scientists to their conference. Yeah, so talk about kind of this idea of behavioral changes. What are some of the things, I mean, are we talking about students eating less animal-based food? Is that the kind of the crux of it? So, I mean, that's definitely one of it. 
one of the solutions um, talking about how uh, only 10% of Americans, if they reduce their uh, meat consumption by about one meal a day, it already helps begin to reduce the overall carbon emissions just through a supply and demand mm-hmm. sort of idea. Um, some other things are having a refillable water bottle. Um, a, a big thing is having reusable straws instead of plastic straws. Um some of those things are much more advertised, we see. And while these individual efforts uh, are really great and they should be encouraged, there should be more administrative efforts being taken by the college, too. Well, talk about some of those administrative efforts. I mean, one thing that was kind of clear is that there are a number of students, though both those who have worked kind of on the the intern side, the, the Office of Facilities, as you mentioned, hires uh, an intern or two each summer to work on these sustainability issues. But um, both from those folks as well as um, from kind of student activists more broadly in terms of the of GECCO, the Gettysburg Environmental Concerns Organization, seem to point to the lack of a staff position focused on these sustainability issues as being emblematic of, of the college not really focusing on coordinating its efforts. Yeah, so I also talked to Mackenzie Summers, who uh, is president of GECCO, and she felt really disheartened by the fact that we don't have some sort of sustainability coordinator, direct director, or office, um, which a lot of our peer institutions have already. I, I've been doing more research for um, more sustainability uh, acts that we could continue at the college. Um, there has been discussion of a sustainability coordinator. I talked to one of the environmental studies professors, and he was not so sure that a uh, sustainability coordinator would help, but it seems to me that the students, the population community around here would really like some sort of organization. Yeah, well, there was a quote in your article from Jack Burns that was, since there's no front man, there's no one to push new ideas, and it's a last Mm -hmm. thought for facilities because they have so much else to do. I mean, I personally am leery of the idea of the solution to every problem being hiring another college administrator. Uh, I think you see the fruits of that in mm-hmm. just the proliferation in administrators kind of with single single tasks and, mm-hmm. and, and not saying that any of those tasks aren't worthwhile. But what would make having a sustainability coordinator, what could that person do? I think they could be a really good form of communication between the students and administration or maybe even the administration and students with the board of trustees because uh, there's a lot of budget and planning that needs to go into this. Is it your sense that um, this is an issue that's top of mind for a large number of students? I would like to say yes, but I do know that I might be biased in the opinions I hear as a lot of my friends do have similar uh, opinions as me when it comes to sustainability on campus. Uh, I saw roughly 100, 150 students at that sustainability rally, uh, the Fridays for Future protests. But in terms of the whole school, I think some students might be disheartened that there isn't some administration heading this because they feel that even if they do go out and protest, nothing will be done about it. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to tell. Well, it doesn't seem like the issue of climate change is going away anytime mm-hmm. soon. So this is certainly a conversation to be continued. Nicole DiGiacomo, thanks for joining us. Thank you.
That's on target for this week. We'd like to thank Nicole DiGiacomo for being our featured guest today. We'd also like to thank the staff of the Gettysburgian and the executive board of WZBT for their ongoing support for this project. Be sure to subscribe to On Target on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. On Target is a joint production of the Gettysburgian and WZBT. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, the 2019 graduate of the Sunderman Conservatory of Music, now pursuing a master's in music composition. Join us next week. We'll sit down with Dean of Students, Julie Ramsey, to discuss the college's new task force on student success. Have a great week.